0: Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Brett Moyer. He grew up in central Pennsylvania, and since graduating college, he has been working in finance near New York City, but he's always had a passion for history, And he has recently published a few books including a picture book he's got other things going on that he's done in his life so i'm excited to have brett here today thank you so much brett why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about you
1: yeah thank you so much sarah for having me um definitely you know amazed to to be on the list of all the authors that you've been able to to interview and, and have on your show so uh, as you mentioned, my name is Brett Moyer. Uh, originally from Watsontown, Pennsylvania, a town of about 2,300 people, uh, just along the beautiful banks of the Susquehanna River. Uh, and as Sarah mentioned, uh, you know, I graduated from Susquehanna back in 2013. Uh, I was a finance and econ major, and you know, always had a bit of an interest for business, uh, but also a very big passion for history. And uh, you know, coming out of college, I, I did the the corporate route. Uh, Ended up with, you know, JP Morgan, uh, spending two years in Delaware, the beautiful state of Delaware. Uh, And then I was able to transition with them up to New York and never lived in New York City. Um, Always lived in Jersey City, just along the Hudson River there as well. And was very fortunate to, to spend a good career with them, you know, growing within the finance space and then project management. Uh, before then going over to Goldman Sachs um, for a little over a year. And then uh, currently I'm a vice president um, at Bank of New York Mellon, where uh, I oversee a large project management um, endeavor for them, especially improving the liquidity space. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to be interviewed uh, about other things beyond finance. Uh, you know, I feel like I often do phone calls with students or, uh, you know, I've done different lectures and it's always just business, always just finance. Uh, but, you know, I've often kind of said there, there's more to people than their job title and their career. Um, so that's what's really exciting today is is to, you know, talk more about all those other passions that, you know, definitely make a person much more unique, uh, much more interesting. So, uh, you know, as, as Sarah mentioned, you know, I've, I've done two history books uh, over the last two years. Uh, and then I also expanded into children's books recently. Um, you know, I just came out with my first one back in August and the next one will come out in about two weeks. So
0: this episode will be le- releasing, like probably right around the book coming out. Cause for once I am ahead <laughs> on my recording. There you go. Uh, so I'm curious, did you ever think to not go into finance and go into the business world and take some sort of career and more of a history Fashion.
1: Yeah, it, it's a really good question. So, you know, growing up in Central PA, uh, there's so much amazing history. And, um, you know, I, I think it also stems back to, you know, when I was four years old, I, I was starting work at my parents' bed and breakfast, which is also a restaurant, uh, which is located in Lewisburg. It was Brook Park Farms. And I remember getting my very first tip, uh, $2. I was carrying the water pitcher and, and topping off water glasses. and. Uh, you know, and the, the bed and breakfast was situated in old farmhouse and all the old pictures were on the walls. And, uh, many of the, the patrons who would come for lunch were either pastors or clergymen or women, or just really interesting people, uh, professors. And, you know, from a young age, I was surrounded with history and, you know, the, the other irony of becoming an author. And part of the reason I really wanted to pursue that is I really struggled to learn to read as a child. Uh, I was probably six, you know, seven-ish when I started really to read. And the very first books that intrigued me and I just started picking up were biographies uh, from the school library. And you know it was always a, a very big passion for me uh, to the point that you know, when I ended up, uh, was 10 years old, I joined the Warrior on Fort Freeland Heritage Society. And, you know, from a young age there, I would carry the, the water buckets around on my shoulders or deliver firewood for the annual Heritage Days in October every year. Um, so just the, the opportunity to, to put yourself into character, uh, go back to the Revolutionary War uh, and see, you know, what battles and things happened right there in, in sleepy old central Pennsylvania. And it, it became such a, a unique passion of mine that, you know, even getting into high school, I, uh, I ended up taking on the trade uh, of becoming a rake maker. Um, you know, cutting down the tree and you know using a shaving horse and um, hand tools to to take you know this piece of cherry wood and turn it into a hay rake and a pitchfork. Um, so this was a really unique experience for me, where over time I would grow into being a master craftsman and getting to teach these apprentices. And uh, even through high school, I was having this debate you know, do I become a history teacher or do I go the the route of a business? Because, you know, growing up in that, you know, family business, um, waiting tables, uh, I was also fortunate to understand, you know, the, the value of money. Um, so I'd begun, you know, at a young age, putting away all my tips and, uh, you know, the very first stock that I was able to purchase, I was very interested, you know, in, in learning stock symbols and, I had, you know, been saving my money at West Melton State Bank, which is now Susquehanna Community Financial. And I, I thought they may be a broker, you know, I, I didn't understand how that worked as, as a young as a young person. Uh, I remember going into the, the branch and, you know, they they said, well, we're not, but, you know, we could issue you stock. And, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to turn, you know, my early tips into shares of stock and gain to see that grow. And, you know, one of my first jobs, you know, outside of waiting tables was a bank teller at West Melton. So, you know, I had these parallel, you know, interests going where, you know, a little bit entrepreneurial, loving history, loving learning and talking to people, uh, and, you know, gain accepted at Susquehanna. I didn't quite know where I was going to go. I went in as an undecided business major and, you know, the, the, Amazing thing was, you know, finance was something that was kind of big, you know, is one of the majors. And I thought, well, let me give that a shot. And the, you know, I went through the entire program, you know, as a finance major and and did well, you know, I took on internships at Prudential and JP Morgan. Um, But I always laugh a little bit where I was the TA um, for all the entrepreneurship classes. And I never took a single entrepreneurship class in all my years, um, but just was asked by the, the business school to be the TA and help students write business plans and figure out ways to finance their small ventures. And um, so it was something where, you know, I always go back to, I, I went that finance route particularly because I enjoy people. Uh, you know, I always get, enjoy getting to talk to people, learning from them, uh, seeing what their passions really are. You know, I think it's a really unique opportunity to, to encourage them, uh, to, to push themselves and truly become, you know, what, what they've been destined to be. So, uh, you know, that's why I went the finance route. Um, you know, but in that same vein, I never lost that passion for history. Um, you know, I was very fortunate when I moved um, from Delaware up to, to Jersey city, uh, I found myself missing, uh, the opportunity to to stay engaged with history. Um, you know, when you, when you're in the city every day, everything is, clean and sleek and modern. Uh, But then when you're walking down the street, you see this beautiful old building, um, or you see, you know, the Statue of Liberty and these unique pieces of history. And, you know, about six months into my time up in the city, I realized I was bored on weekends. And uh, I decided to just send a random email to the National Park Service at the Statue of Liberty, asking if I could volunteer. And, uh, you know, they immediately got back and said, we do not have a need for volunteers, but there is a nonprofit, uh, Ellis Island, who would like to, to arrange to have tour guides to give tours of the abandoned immigrant hospitals. Um, and for some context, my family did not come in through Ellis Island. I had no connection. Um, you know, I, I often tell my guests the, the joke on the story that, you know, As a young child, I was on a cruise out of New York Harbor. And I remember asking my dad what the buildings were at Ellis Island on the south side, these old abandoned ruins. And I remember he told me that he assumed that they were office buildings. And now that I take guests through them, I realize that there are these amazing, magnificent hospitals on the island. Um, So it was just a really unique opportunity for me to volunteer and to give back. And, And part of the reason I really needed that, you know, is I am an introvert you know, and and doing a podcast, you know, right now talking with people, it's, it's interesting to me in that regard, but, uh, and I say, I enjoy meeting and talking to people, but I am quite introverted and being a tour guide in New York, you have to be very much an extrovert. You have to hold attention. Um, you know, you have people who are coming to the city from all over the world. And I begun, um, taking groups of 30 people through these abandoned hospitals, wearing hard hats and, and learning this amazing Part of history that I never had any idea about, uh, and how this was really the cutting edge of healthcare in America. And you know, lo and behold, almost seven years later, you know, I've had the pleasure of giving thousands of tours in those buildings and and getting to see you know different reactions from guests and people who've been through you know the immigration process. It's really inspiring. Uh, and then you know, to counter that, there's a lot of other amazing history in New York. And a, a little bit of an unknown fact is. I do give running tours of Lower Manhattan, um, so I actually lead you know groups um, on a five mile run across the Brooklyn Bridge and around the New York Stock Exchange and uh, talk about the the early parts of American history. You know this is pre Ellis Island, um, but just once again, an ability to have that outlet outside of corporate finance is something I, I like to encourage even students today. Uh, when I meet from with them from Susquehanna, is you know. Don't give up your day job, especially early on. If you if you have that passion for business, um, if you have that passion for finance and numbers, go for it. Don't be afraid, but don't don't let that corporate or that career take away from that God-given gift that you have. Because for many people, it could be art, it could be music, it could be history. Find that outlet and continue with it, you know, and not to say it's the gig economy or this, you know, this outlet um for these challenges you're facing on a daily basis, but we've all been given unique gifts and abilities that we should continue to to enjoy and see, you know, how we can impact others through. So that that's why history is really such a an important part of my life. Cause, you know, even from a young age, it's always been ingrained and ensconced in kind of what I've done. Um, and it's just been a great way for me to to interact with others.
0: Yeah, it really sounds like it. And you've shared a lot there. So I'm curious to know um, did you ever think about going to college somewhere that's not, like, less than an hour from your hometown?
1: Uh, you know, so when I went to, to Warrior Run High School um, in, in Watsontown, you know, I had applied other places. You know, I, I applied to Pittsburgh, I applied to Delaware, um, and then even closer to home, I, I applied to Bloomsburg uh, University. And, you know, all really unique options. but you know, I go back to, I was a little bit of an introvert. I was a little bit shy and this idea of going too far away just didn't seem to, to make too much sense to me. Um, you know, when I was younger, I, I often thought, you know, I would probably end up staying with, with West Melton State Bank and seeing where my career went with them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to think, and I, I often remember, you know, as a bank teller, when I was there, they had um, at the time four branches and about 80 employees. So you always knew who to talk to. There was no bureaucracy, no hierarchy. It was very easy to navigate. And I remember my first internship at Prudential. Uh, You know, I was there as a financial analyst and they had almost 40,000 employees. And I was asked to email someone and I'm like, how in the world do I find this person to email? And that was just Mind-numbing to me, and you know it was a little scary. You know that's why I'm like I, I miss my my comforts of home in that regard. And um, you know I thought, well, you know I'm going to college for finance. Well, I was that Prudential? It wasn't quite. You know it was more of an accounting role. And I thought, you know, I want to go with the big banks and see if that allows me to potentially go into the branch banking, kind of like what I was doing with West Melton, and and that ended up steering me to J.P. Morgan because i I knew JP. Morgan Chase and the, the Chase brand. But when I ended up interning there, I was really just J P. Morgan in-house. You know, I was a financial controller. And when I was at JPM, I was now with a quarter million people. So kind of once again, in that wrong direction of of being in that comfort zone of always knowing who to ask questions to and and what to do. And um you know, it's continued to allow me to to really step out of that comfort zone, where, I, I interact with now hundreds of people every day, and especially as a project manager, um, you know you're, you're dealing with stakeholders, large and small, across the firm. Uh, you know I primarily look at the markets business for Bank of New York, and you know I'm dealing with many different vendors, um, you know, with the firm. So it, it's it's continued to be a unique opportunity to to push myself where you, you have to deal with all of these people. You're you're not in, into the small numbers anymore. Uh, which which is definitely interesting, so.
0: And now, do you like living in Jersey City, close to the city, or do you sometimes wish you were back in rural central Pennsylvania?
1: Yeah, you know, I, it, Jersey City, it, it's much quieter than New York. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful to be across the Hudson River. Um, you know, I, I, my wife and I often talk, I, I, I never will forget the day that COVID really set in in New York. Um, you know, at that time I I was at Goldman Sachs and I remember, you know, I was standing with one of the vice presidents at the window and the, the Goldman office looks down the West side highway and it was, it was Tuesday in March of of 2020. And, you know, I remember we were looking out the window and the West side highway was quiet and it's, it's never that way. And I remember, you know, he's an older gentleman. He said, you know, life will never be the same. Um, he said, you know, that the future will, 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 probably be hybrid, which was really interesting. The hindsight that he had, um, he said that people in, in, these big office buildings in New York will probably just be executives going forward. Um, and then, you know, hours later we got the email to go home. And, uh, you know, I, I remember going into the Oculus world trade center and there was a little farmer's market and every Tuesday they would have this farmer's market. And I thought, well. I don't know when the last time I'm going to be here again. So I remember I bought two loaves of bread that day thinking, well, this will be just two weeks. I'll be back in the city. No big deal. And, you know, that same day, you know, the email came out that restaurants would be closed at midnight that night. And I I remember texting my wife and, and she saved the message where I said, should we go get our last meal at a restaurant? And she said, how morbid is this? Um, and I, I said, no, you don't understand. The restaurants are closing. And I said, I don't know when they'll reopen. But uh, And lo and behold, we could not find a restaurant that was open that night in the city. And I just remember coming home to Jersey. And, you know, it was amazing to see during COVID how just the city kind of shut down. Jersey City was scary in that regard. You didn't want to press elevator buttons. Um, you just wanted to be away. And, you know, part of me during that time was saying, man, I just, I would love to be on a farm, you know, back home and away from all this scariness that's happening. You didn't know, you know, the grocery stores were empty. Um, you had to wait in line, you know, 50 people long to get into the stores. And uh, you were just afraid to go out. You were afraid, were you you're going to catch COVID? And, uh, you know, in all those moments, you know, and even prior to, I thought, you know, I'm definitely ready to be. To be away from the city, um, you know, back in central Pennsylvania, you know, where I know everybody, you know, things are simple. You just get in your car. You don't worry about touching the, the subway poles and things. Um, but through that, you know, my wife and I have always talked that, you know, that there's a purpose for us to be here, and um, you know, even in reading, you know, our daily devotionals, that you know, God has a purpose for us here. It's not time to leave yet. And, you know, and part of that has been, you know, during COVID, um, you know, with our church, we've run, you know, helped run a number of engagement events and community service events. And it's really remarkable how, you know, we were able to see COVID was really hard on people in the city. Uh, you know, I remember, you know, some of the analysts I worked with at Goldman who they were, they were young and single during COVID in their studio apartments. And they were, they were going out of their minds. They had no social life. They had no one to talk to. And you know, and, and that's something they often say about New York City. It's it's a place where everyone is, but it can be a very lonely place. Um, and, and that's something where I think we've been very fortunate in trying to engage people, um, you know, and helping them through that transition. You know, I think COVID, you know, in the cities really changed a lot of people, um, and and try to you know build that community back. I think is really important for people, and, and just trying to to make sure that they have that level of engagement. So to answer your question, I definitely miss rural life. uh, Absolutely. And, um, you know, and part of that is the history, you know, passion that I have, where I always want to, to just be working with my hands. Uh, I I love to the ability to garden if I could. Um, And, you know, it's just something that it, it is definitely on the horizon um hopefully sooner rather than later where you know my wife and i'll be able to to settle down and and have some property of some nature um and, and one of those areas where you know being on the hudson river has offered us a really unique insight where uh there's tons of canada geese and tons of um ducks and diving ducks and a lot of wildlife which is really amazing and you know one of the service events that we've been engaged with with our church has been doing a community service day and we've seen you know unfortunately a lot of the the trash in the hudson river and the the impact that has had on the ecosystem and uh you know i I joke with my wife you know she's from the philippines and you know very warm climate certainly no canada geese whatsoever um but when she moved here uh and you know was coming to jersey city she found these little goslings every spring and immediately fell in love with them. I mean, it's, it's a little yellow gosling. Who, who couldn't love that? And, you know, getting to see them quickly grow into these 20-pound Canada geese. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really a passion of ours every day just to watch them, see just their interaction, just how smart they were, and, and also their sense of family and community. And, you know, unfortunately, over time, we were noticing some sick geese. Uh, they were limping or, uh, you know, some of them just, they weren't eating anymore. They were showing some, some issues like that. And we began to um, try to figure out ways to help them. And, you know, she ran across the, the Wild Bird Fund, NYC, uh, which is a nonprofit in New York. And their, their objective is to be a wing over wildlife in New York City. Uh, no pun intended there. And um, you know she got connected with them, and, and I remember the very first time I watched her capture a sick Canada goose, just how the confidence to go in behind a goose, just be able to wrap your arms around it, and then uh, put it inside of a, a box, and you know transporting it into New York City was was really remarkable, and it gave me that quick sense and that that quick jolt that there is a sense of more rural living here in that capacity um and being able to help wildlife and help nature and you know it it is amazing to look at jersey city it's a little bit less developed just a little bit less developed in new york but uh they they do have a little bit more um of a nature setting you know some of the bigger parks here and things and um you know that that has given me some sense of of that country living that we've we've missed and Um, you know, we, we've had some success with some of the geese that we've been able to help rescue. Uh, you know, the big problem here, especially in the Hudson river is typically lead poisoning or some other chemical issues where, uh, there was a swan, uh, covered in petroleum, unfortunately from spilt oil. And, uh, you know, unfortunately this, this July, there was a goose, um, struck by an Uber eats delivery driver. And, uh, you know, my wife and I got the call one night from someone else who kind of watch watches out for the geese and, and called us. And at the time, we just gotten a corgi puppy. So we had a a big enough carrier to put this goose in. And, um, you know, unfortunately, at that time, the the wild bird fund, it was late at night, their operating room was closed. So we, we unfortunately had to to hold that goose until morning uh, was the objective. So my wife and I were talking through this process of how how we were going to to make sure this goose survived. Uh, unfortunately, two hours in, the goose passed uh, peacefully in its crate. But it was really traumatic, you know, just seeing how just a, a lack of indifference almost in the community here, uh, a, a, not necessarily a full awareness that, you know, the, the big thing we were running into was people had made assumptions that it's a goose that should have flown out of the way. And, you know, wh- why are there so many geese here? You know, just this, this not, not necessarily being educated about it. And, you know, my wife and I talked and I said, well, people don't know about molting, which occurs to all geese typically every, you know, June into July where they all, you know, they can't fly and they, they grow new feathers and um, they don't understand the goslings are here. You know, their nests are here on the Hudson River. So, you know, I'd I'd been a history author for two years and, uh, my books have typically been about kind of what if scenarios. And, uh, you know, I, I had just finished my book on Ellis Island and I thought, you know, it's going to be a while until I have my next one. Uh, so I thought, let's try children's book. Let's try to educate city folks, uh, about nature a little bit. So I thought, I like to draw, Uh, you know, it's not necessarily something I'd done in years, uh, but I thought, you know, I I bet I can draw my own book and illustrate. And in 750 words, I bet I could teach a young child about geese and just some of the the fun facts. And uh, it really was an amazing success. You know, adults who would pick up the books for their kids were like, I didn't know some of these things. And like, I didn't know you shouldn't feed them bread. You know, I'd love to just take a, a, an old piece of bread and feed it to the ducks and the geese. And I, now I know it's not good for them. Um, it's like those little things are, are really fascinating where it, it's really crossed so many lines of, you know, people from the city get to learn more, get to respect that nature. You know, people back home, you know, are amazed to, to learn about these candy geese that they see fly over every year. And um, it, it's just been a really unique opportunity where, I've still been able to embrace that country living, uh, through you know what will be this series now uh, called Goose Gather Farm, and you know the, the book coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, the title will be Meet Honey the Bee, and I'm trying to educate people about honeybee populations and and you know some of the important factors about them, uh, and just how critical they are to to our food supply and everything else uh, in life and. Um, you know, that was kind of spun, spun in my, my mind, um, at Bank of New York on the roof of the building, they have beehives and it's actually quite common in the city to put uh, these honey beehives on the roofs and, um, you know, supporting the local, uh, ecosystem. And, uh, I thought this will be a great book too, uh, in that series and, and trying to also, you know, work in this unique, uh, perspective for, for children and adults to learn a little bit through these, uh, interactions, so.
0: Well, I don't think most people would uh, expect a VP in finance to be so passionate about geese and wildlife uh, to the point of writing this book and, you know, having this little series. So can you talk a little bit about the first books that you wrote and how you first took that plunge into, I'm going to publish a book?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, going back to you know, the winter of of 2020, I guess, um, you know, I, I was a little over a year in at Goldman Sachs and, you know, it was very funny. I I think it was November one of that year. Uh, I was asked by Susquehanna to, to give this talk to students and it was, it was like a primetime address. It was like a Thursday night, 7. p.m. uh, I think there was like 200 or 300 people listened in, you know, alumni, students, and uh the dean of the business school dean razoo entitled my talk finding your dream job and i remember you know when i was planning to to give this talk i i actually was a little bit hesitant because i thought you know finance necessarily isn't my dream job and i joked about that a little bit that night that there are days it's a nightmare you know some days it's great um you know but you know, I really tried to encourage students and alumni, like once again, follow your passions. You know, see see what God's trying to do with you in your life. Um, you know, it's not all about the career or the title. And I remember leaving it that night, not thinking too much of it. You know, hopefully there's some lessons. And uh, you know, about a month later, I, uh, I had a you know a calendar invite from my managing director put on my calendar. That also included the partner of my division. And I got a little nervous. I thought, well, this is this is a, a unique meeting to, to have scheduled. And um, you know, I got the call that night that my job was being transitioned to India. And I had a month to transition the work and I was going to be done. Um, but they said, You will have a, a severance package and you can see where you'll go from there. And, you know, at that moment I was I was in shell shock. You know, I've never been laid off, um, you know, and it was just a very weird transition, very kind of quick. And um, you know, Goldman was a really amazing company. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting laid off from the best bank in the world, and in that moment, you know, I was I didn't know what to do with my days. You know, obviously, from you know talking today, and I'm sure what the listeners will hear is I have a lot of interesting passions. I don't like downtime, and I remember just seeing at home. You know, I didn't know where I was going to go next in my career i was just all over the place and you know i'd said to my wife previously you know i had an interest in you know abraham lincoln and you know the civil war and you know the industrial revolution and i said you know i was always curious what if he hadn't been assassinated and she said you should write something about this you know maybe it could be the book that you know you've, you've often thought about writing and uh you know over the course of six weeks i just sat down and started doing research and started writing. And, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, I don't know where this is going to go. And, you know, I, I contacted some publishers and, uh, you know, self-publishing it's, it's not cheap in a lot of cases. If, if you want to go with, with one of the big groups, you typically pay them, um, you know, it was thousands of dollars. And I thought, I, I don't want to pay them to do this. This just seems crazy to me. I don't think it's ever going to go anywhere. Uh, so I, I was really fortunate to see that Amazon um, has a self-publishing division uh, called Kindle Create, and it puts the author really in the driver's seat. Where I get to upload my manuscript, I, I make the cover, you know, and and manage a lot of the control uh, around the the distribution and the marketing. And it took me back to once again combining those passions of business and history, where. You know i had to be the entrepreneur and figure out where my cost had to be and what type of cover i could do and um you know so during that time of uncertainty it was just a really unique bright spot where i thought i i guess i can publish a book and see where this goes and uh you know i was amazed my first month uh, 45 books shipped to places all over the world which was really interesting books were shipping to mexico and to the philippines and Uh, it was just really interesting to me to watch this and, uh, you know, during this period, you know, we were still in COVID and, uh, you know, I was very thrilled with my first book had Lincoln lived and how it was doing. But, uh, I remember speaking to one of the members in our Bible study and he joked with me, he said, well, you need to do another book. And I said, what do you mean? he said, well, if you only do one, you're a one hit wonder, but if you do multiple, you're, you're, you're a real author. And I thought, well, this is. Makes sense, you know? And so I I couldn't come up with any ideas. I wasn't writer's block. I just had absolutely no ideas. What would I write about next? And, you know, during COVID Ellis Island tours had shut down, which was kind of ironic. You know, we were like medical historians at Ellis Island. We had a lot to talk about, um, certainly. Uh, But I noticed, you know, I was losing a lot of those facts that I had learned so much about, you know, and I've read so many books about medical history, not only at Ellis Island, but at Bellevue and and really across America and even across the world, it's really fascinating topic going back millennia. And I thought I should write about Ellis Island. You know, it's something that, you know, the buildings there that we give tours through, uh, the objective of the nonprofit was to raise $500 million to restore them. And that was years ago, that quote was given. So I'm sure it's probably approaching a billion, if not more, and the funds will never likely be raised. Unfortunately, it's just it's one of those challenges where the goal really now is what's called arrested decay, is to just stop the buildings from falling down, basically. And I thought, you know, this is history that is going to be lost, and I thought, you know, it's it's time that I write this story because um, it needs written, it needs told. And you know, I, I quickly sat down and, and just wrote all these facts and all these stories that i've heard and read into into a book and it was really enjoyable um to actually proof that book with my wife because we sat down and read through it and it literally felt like i was walking the tour out again you know and uh you know i walk backwards on those tours so i can see everyone and it was so it was it was it was a really cathartic experience for me to, to actually go back through and and think about those rooms i've walked into Uh, the the spaces that are off limits, typically to public tours and, and the talk about the morgue and talk about the doctors and the nurses and the staff and and just the immigrant experience uh, that went on there. And, you know, that was just a really amazing opportunity for me to tell that story. But once again, from the perspective, what if, uh, what if Ellis Island had never been more than a pile of rocks, a small little Island in the Harbor uh, to paint this picture? um, Not necessarily, you know, how bad healthcare would have been, but also how bad immigration—you know how, how troublesome it could have been—with um, without that, without that safety net, um, you know, of making sure everyone coming into the country was healthy and safe and well. It really made immigration a, a much smoother process, made America, you know, a much more thriving economy, uh, and also a world world player. You know, I, I talk uh, later about even World War II. Uh, you know, that ability to make sure that all these people were were healthy and well going off to war, you know, and were not malnourished. And so many immigrants coming to America were poor farmers and, and just trying to make sure that they understood these basic concepts. And uh, that was a really wonderful experience um, to get into those history books. And, uh, you know, and moving into the children's book, it's partly because my, my next history book, uh, hopefully... Will be on what if General MacArthur had not retaken the Philippines uh, during World War II? And, you know, partly because you know my wife is from the Philippines, but he's just such a, a controversial general, uh, statesman figure, however you want to look at him, uh, throughout his career. And, you know, it, it's really amazing to look at, you know, how he lost the Philippines, you know, and that was such a, a difficult situation early in World War II. Um, but just his victory in retaking it and how it, it set him up to help restabilize Japan, you know, as, as really the the commander, you know, post-World War II and and bring that world, you know, back into a stable place, bring their economy and the country back to a, a democratic state. And then, you know, even the, the, the efforts in the Korean War, you know, and, and how, you know, communism was such a, a threat during that period. And, you know, w- without his leadership... You know during that how history could have been so much different in asia uh and then around the world you know just those efforts to, to stabilize you know just those small little islands had such ripple effects um but i i quickly know you know from you know early research that that will be such a work in progress not an easy right in any way where i said you know i want to stay relevant as an author you know stay active and then that's when i quickly realized i have this passion for environmentalism. And, you know, and that's where I said the kids books, children's books are a really amazing outlet. Uh, It's a great way to connect with with a segment that I never really thought about before. uh, And to really, you know, expand uh, my genres. So,
0: And so you shared a little bit how this kind of came out during pandemic times and with the job changes and everything. So how has life changed since March of 2020?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think since, you know, COVID has started, you know, I often think I can't fathom going back into an office five days a week, you know, that that's the big thing. And um, that's kind of the the wonderful side in a way coming out of COVID is so many people have realized that, that the hybrid model does work. You know, there there are certainly those great days where it is good to be in an office, uh, having those face-to-face interactions and meetings. But, uh, you know, having that ability to now, be at home two, three days a week uh, has certainly given, you know, that flexibility to pursue those passions where, you know, if I've gotten my work done for the day, I could sit down and now draw, or I could read, you know, a research paper on on something that is interesting to me. Uh, And then even at, at Bank of New York and many of the other banks now, they have programs called work from anywhere, where for two weeks out of the year, you can go and work remotely. Um, so this past May, you know, my wife and I went back to the Philippines for two weeks and, you know, worked New York hours, so worked overnight, but had that flexibility to, to get to see the world, do a little bit of preliminary research about MacArthur, kind of get those ideas flowing. So I, I think one of the great things of, of being hybrid is it's really allowed people to to pursue those passions, you know, on those those days where they may not have to be in the office, you know, where when you're in the office, you're interacting with people who are focused on that same objective, you know, same, same motive. And, um, you know, when you get to be outside, you know, you now get to be in your own community, uh, perhaps and engaging people who, you know, have fellow historians, you know, people who, you know, fellow authors and, you know, even with our church, you know, engaging in those community events, you know, people from all different, um, segments of life. It's, it's really been a great asset and a, a great blessing in a way to, to have that ability now to, to see once again that there's so much more outside of, of just that that corporate nine to five five days a week uh every day so
0: yes and it sounds like you've really been able to adjust to that new reality and you've been able to t- uh, take advantage of the two weeks of work from anywhere do you have any hopes for future two weeks work from anywhere
1: yeah i mean i you know I'm, I'm somewhat in favor of you know the the hybrid and, and the remote work. Um, you know I don't know where it's going going to lead us perhaps in that regard. Um, my, my hope is a little bit further away from the city you know and, and being able to to have a little bit more of a suburban life um, you know and that way people could to get back to those roots, of the agrarian kind of understanding and you know be a little bit more flexible in that regard so
0: and do you enjoy your commute into the city when you have to go in? Uh
1: not so much. Uh, you know, it, it's something where, you know, I'll be honest, I'm very fortunate where I find lower Manhattan is um a lot safer, uh, a lot cleaner. Um, you know, one of the the, the shames of, you know, going back to the pandemic was, you know, mental health I feel did Go through a lot of issues in New York, and um, just so many problems there. You know, with crime, uh, Asian hate crimes, and, and things like that. Where uh, it's definitely not not the same city that I remember. Um, you know, recently catching up with a colleague, we joked about how we were in shock. You know, how we would get off the train at Thirty Third and and walk fifteen blocks in a suit five days a week, and we now are, are both fortunate where we can be downtown. And, you know, where pretty much whatever we want. Um, but, you know, it's something where, you know, it's definitely a different city than it used to be. Um, you know, and, and I just hope that the values and things can kind of come back. Um, but, you know, time will, will certainly tell, you know, where, where the future will lead us there. So.
0: Hey. Well, I'm not sure I have any more specific questions to ask you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners today?
1: Yeah, I, I just, it was such a pleasure uh, to get to talk to you all today. Um, you know, and I just want to reiterate, you know, whatever your passions may be, um, you know, wherever, you know, God has placed you in that regard, I hope you're able to kind of pursue, you know, that that flexibility and, and be able to see how you can touch others' lives. Um, you know, we've all been given really unique gifts and, you know I, I hope if you want to pursue finance it's a great opportunity um you know working w- within that segment you know I, I don't discount that in any way uh, if you want to be an author that's an even more amazing market in, in so many ways where you get that creative side and uh, get to get to touch lives as well so um you know definitely don't lose sight uh, of where you can have an impact on others lives so
0: Right. That's such a good piece of advice for people to hear. And I think throughout the things you've shared today, you've you've shown how you've been able to take that. Oh, I think that's really good. So at the end of all of my episodes, I do ask everyone a random question. So I'll see if you have an answer for this question. It is, what is your most repeated movie quote?
1: My most repeated movie quote it it probably is, you know, one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. Um, and it, it, of course, the, the famous line, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and yeah, just, I think it's a great line. It's very, uh, very fitting with, with the lives we've all been living, um, and definitely taking life as it comes. So.
0: All right, that brings this episode to a close. I will be leaving Brett's Amazon author page in the description, so if you wanna check out any of the books he's talked about, you can go there and buy them, along with his upcoming soon-to-be-released book that he mentioned as well. So feel free to go check that out, and if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That brings you back to all of our past episodes and all of our social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you'd like to support the podcast, a link to do that is available in the description as well. And of course, my email is also in the description. If you would like to be a guest, you can feel free to reach out to me. I always love hearing new stories. So thank you so much, Brett, for spending time with me today and dealing with our technical difficulties we had. I appreciate your patience. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye.
1: Thank you. Be well. You're good.